Hello, this is Ever Wonder from the California Science Center. My name is David Magana. Yeah, we kicked Harry off the show. I'm David. And I'm Jaime Lopez. I'm Dylan Rinder. And, and we're, we're from Urban High, High School, School in Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. And, and we've, we've been, been interning at the Science Center, Center for the past four years. years. We were tasked with pitching an idea for the podcast. And with the new Jurassic World movie releasing soon, we came up with a great question. Ever wonder if humans can coexist with dinosaurs? Dinosaurs have been extinct for a very long time. So what would our world be like if dinosaurs were roaming the earth once again, only this time in the modern era? To help us answer this burning question, we have a paleontologist with us today, Dr. Jingmei O'Connor from the Field Museum in Chicago. She helped us think about what would happen if dinosaurs came back from extinction, but also said there are already dinosaurs living among us today. Dr. Jingmei O'Connor, you are a paleontologist and associate curator of fossil reptiles at the Field Museum in Chicago. Jingmei, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Perry. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and hosting with me today are Jaime and David from Verbum Day High School in Los Angeles. Hi, guys. Hey, Perry and Jingmei. Thanks for joining us. Yes, hello. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So, Jingmei, we are thrilled to talk to a dinosaur expert like you today. I think you have just one of the coolest jobs as a paleontologist especially, and I'm biased here because I like flying things, one that focuses on understanding the dinosaur bird transition. Uh, that all sounds really fascinating. I'm sure you hear this a lot, but I don't think I'd ever heard of paleontologists until I watched the movie Jurassic Park as a kid in the 90s. And with the new Jurassic World Dominion movie coming out this summer, I bet there's a whole new group of kids uh, getting excited about this field again. So why don't we start there, uh, just in case listeners might not know. What is a paleontologist exactly? A paleontologist is somebody who studies ancient life through the petrified remains of once living organisms, which are called fossils. So paleo means ancient life. Paleo is ancient. To means life. And ology is like the study of. So it's the study of ancient life. Cool. And and how did you end up becoming one? You know, most people uh, are like kind of like you described. They saw Jurassic Park as a kid or they played with dinosaur toys when they were young and they've been obsessed ever since. Like that is a cliche that holds strong for like 99.9% of all paleontologists. It's like, it's scary how much that cliche holds true. Um, I am the only paleontologist I've ever met, like a serious one, you know, who is you know, was not reeled in at this at such a young age. So it was, I always joke that I'm like, I'm late to the paleo party. Um, but yeah, I discovered paleontology in college. I mean, I knew of it, you know, I had gone and hunted for fossils with my mom, who's also a geologist. And my little brother had a huge trilobite collection. And I was like, I was aware these things existed, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I was in college and learning about, you know, how our planet formed and, and how the, you know, the plates have moved around and how life has evolved and, and how life has changed, you know, as these plates are moving around and animals are dispersing and all these things. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so I learned about that in class as a geology major in my freshman year at Occidental College. And I just, you know, the idea of how organisms have changed, how you go from a single cell organism to the incredible diversity of animals living on our planet today, like really just just hooked me. And so um, I was already a geology major. And if you're going to study uh, evolution through the lens of geology, it's going to be as a paleontologist. And so voila, here I am. When you were introduced to paleontology, was it a welcoming experience? 
Oh, that's a really good question, David, because I think it's, it's important to talk about these experiences. And uh, it was really a mixed bag, uh, you know, and, um, you know, my actual advisor was super supportive. I mean, after giving me the like, you need to know what you're getting into run for your life speech that I then was like, not listening to that, still want to do it. And then he was like, all right, like, you know, you be warned and now I'm going to help you. So he was really wonderful. His name is Don Prothero. He's written tons of books. He's a really, really great guy, really supportive of his students. But yeah, there were plenty of other people I ran into who were just like, get out of here, kid. Like, you know, there's oh, no. not enough fossils for everyone. <laughs> and like, yeah, like really, you know, really mean and like, and just did nasty, unthink- unfair things to prevent young researchers from succeeding because it's such a competitive field like what are, what's the easiest competition to eliminate young students just trying to get on their feet young female students especially or like minorities mm. like yeah so um you know sadly even though our field is dominated by white men it was other women who were the nastiest to me uh when i was when i was a wee one but uh, you know like through these experiences i see how you can go one of two ways you can either be like oh that's how the game's played and then you just be really nasty to other people too right <laughs> or you could do what i did and you can be like that's messed up. That is what I'll never do. I'm going to be supportive to students. So I really, really, really try as hard as I can to just give whatever I can to to young researchers and help support them and be successful. Right. So almost like breaking the the chain and hopefully the positive attitude you show to these new students coming into paleontology could show that when they get older. Yeah. I mean, partly it is a little bit selfish because it's just good to have good relationships with the next generation. When I'm all old, they can nominate me for awards and stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not at all why I do it. I, I really genuinely do it because I'm so grateful for the help I got when I was young from the nice people. And those experiences from the nasty people are so still so like in, real to me, you know, like I just really don't want anyone to have to go to th- go through that. And, uh, and I also see how much I benefited from having the support of good advisors. And so I just, you know, I want to pass that on, you know, with, and if, if everybody's nice to each other, the world is going to be so much of a, a better place. So we'll start with paleo and, and move out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Exactly. So when you are studying a dinosaur, what, what do you hope to find? Well, every fossil, first you have to be like, is this something new? Is this a, a fossil that we've never seen before? Then that means it's a new species. So that's kind of exciting because uh, then you get to name it. And, you know, um, but uh, And then you have to say, well, if this is something new, how is it different than other animals that we've known about before? And what does that difference tell us about life, about diversity, about how animals were adapting, about how animals were you know, competing with each other? You know, There's so many different aspects of life that you can learn about from different aspects of these extinct animals. And it really, I guess, depends on what that fossil gives you. Like, and so that's essentially what you're doing every time you find something new. You're like, what does this tell me that we did not know before? And it could be anything. It could be like, oh, we didn't know that, you know, this, this one species, we only had a head. Now we have a leg. Now we know what its legs were. You know, it expands the knowledge of just that animal. Or maybe it preserves a little bit of soft tissue and it tells you about, you know, how feathers evolved or something yeah there's just a million things you can learn from all the different types of fossils that there are out there 
Are there any animals alive today that are similar or related to dinosaurs? Excellent question. Because, yeah, you know, some people I've realized don't really seem to make the connect that birds are actually living dinosaurs. Like, for example, if you see like frozen dinosaur chicken nuggets, right? Why is that box not being like, these dinosaur nuggets are made of dinosaur, you know? Whoa. Like, that would be so cool, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they're like worried they're going to like freak some people out. They're like, well, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, so birds are not just descended from dinosaurs. Birds literally are one group of dinosaurs that survived the end Cretaceous mass extinction and diversified into the most speciose group of vertebrates on that live on land. So fish are more, there's more species of fish, but they're like vertebrates living in water. But yeah, the most like diverse group of, of land vertebrates are birds. So birds or slash dinosaurs are the most successful group of amniotes on our planet today. So everybody's like, Oh, dinosaurs are extinct. It's like, Nope. They're doing quite well, actually. What is the importance of studying dinosaur DNA and what could we learn from it? Ooh, that is, yeah, you guys, Jaime, you know your stuff, like cutting edge paleo here. So right now, the idea of studying dinosaur DNA is really very, very new. So uh, there's a joke about like what it means to be a paleontologist and all you do is you're like, that's not a fossil. That's a rock. That's a rock. That's a rock. No Jurassic Park. No, no, no. That's a rock. Uh, okay, maybe that one's a fossil. So, you know, the joke. So we're always getting asked, like, could, could Jurassic Park happen? And it's like, well, I always counter with why would you want it to? Like the movie ended terribly, you know, like why? But uh, but the fact is DNA in the fossil record degrades after 2 million years. So People who study ancient humans do look at DNA, but once they get past that two million point, there's just they've never been able to find anything that still preserved the structure that you could actually sequence. So, you know, the oldest or the youngest, sorry, non avian dinosaurs are 66 million years old, right? Wow. So it's way beyond that two million point. Yeah. But as you've clearly read, and I'm very impressed about that, there was a recent paper, came out like two years ago or something about somebody reporting that they found DNA of a dinosaur in a fossil that was 70, I think 76 million years old from Montana. So um, the cells in the bone of this dinosaur were incredibly preserved. You could actually see the cell nucleus. You could see other like intracellular bodies. Like it was crazy, really fantastic preservation. And then these, these authors did some tests called immunohistochemistry, where you basically apply a chemical that's only going to react with one thing, like it's going to react specifically with DNA. And they applied it to this incredibly well-preserved fossil. And it showed that there was DNA in the cell nucleus, exactly where it should be, right? Wow, cool. But like, if you want to understand an experiment, what do you have to do? Like, you have to have a control, right? You have an experiment and you have a control. And without the control, you do not know what your experiment's telling you. So this experiment with dinosaur DNA did not have a control. So it's possible some human DNA got in there and contaminated the sample. But then why is the DNA only found in the nucleus? exactly where it should be. So there's like, I mean, I'm kind of on the fence right now. I'm just like, this is potentially really exciting, but there are some issues. So it's really basically a new area of paleontology where there's a lot of work to do, where there's a lot of, you know, um, new experiments to design to try to figure out what's there. And if we can actually extract useful information, I 
reckon that we're not going to be able to sequence any dinosaurs, but I do think we're going to be able to prove that there are like building blocks of DNA, fragmented building blocks that do survive in fossils in deep time. But whether or not those can tell us anything, that's something that's, uh, you know, we're just really going to have to figure out over the next couple decades as this new field emerges and new researchers, you know, start putting their talent to it. You know how you said we can't get, really can't get dinosaur DNA from fossils? Is there a way that we could somehow track dinosaur DNA from current birds? Yeah, so there actually is a, a, a famous paleontologist named Jack Horner, who apparently like the the main guy. I was like, this shows how ignorant I am, but like, who's the main guy in the first Jurassic Park movie? Like, I know like he's a hero to all paleontologists, but like the the paleontologist in that movie, whatever. So he is based off of this guy Jack Horner. So Jack Horner has this thing called like a. Uh, the Dino Chicken Project or something like that. And what he's trying to do is like basically a big umbrella project for all this research that is trying to reverse engineer a dinosaur from birds. And so like there's some people are working on like, well, how did the tail become short or how did teeth become lost? Like all these different characteristics of dinosaurs that separate dinosaurs non-avian dinosaurs from birds, right? So um, there's a lot of research being done to do this. But for example, uh, just with the tooth research alone, they've realized that you cannot reverse engineer a bird with teeth. It's impossible. The DNA has changed so much, even just in the 68 million years since teeth were lost in the you know, living bird lineage of dinosaurs because teeth were actually lost in dinosaurs like at least a dozen times. And the beak was evolved, you know, Teeth loss, beak evolved many times, yeah. So, um, But in the particular lineage leading to birds that are alive today, that was probably about 68 million years ago that the teeth were lost. And yeah, the genes are just no longer there. So you can sort of make these little teeth buds appear, like, but you cannot make them develop into full teeth. So if that's true, and that's just one aspect, and we've already hit a wall, right? (laughs) I think it's probably going to be impossible with our current technology to reverse engineer um, birds into dinosaurs. But also, like, just just saying, that sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. It does not sound like a good idea to me. So please don't do it, guys. Jack Horner, stop. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask this question. What would a future with dinosaurs look like? Ooh, well, a future with non-avian dinosaurs, right? Okay. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it probably would be pretty gnarly for people. I mean, mammals have been around a long time. So mammals and dinosaurs coexisted even during, you know, the Jurassic, right? So this is not a new thing like humans and mammals. And actually, there's a really cool fossil from the from China for this early Cretaceous age. And it's a mammal, like a raccoon-sized mammal with baby dinosaurs in its stomach. So it's like there is not this... Like, like one way like Whoa. mammals get just like it's like dinosaurs mammals it's like no it goes both directions but um but if we bring back these big things you know like sauropod dinosaurs the largest animals to ever walk the you know walk on land or you know things like giganotosaurus or t-rex or spinosaurus i mean these are massive apex predators the likes of which we have are not around and have not been around in at any point in human history and um yeah, I think, you know, we're small, weak, little mammal, naked mammals running around like, ah, you know, like, I, I think we, we would probably not do very well against these large animals. I mean, I mean, I, like, you, you'd have little kids 
you know, getting stepped on by sauropods, getting buried alive in sauropod feces. Like, oh no, you know, I like, and I think I mentioned this to you guys last time we were chatting. Like, the movie Jurassic Park, the book, the book starts off with a dinosaur breaking into someone's house and eating their baby. So, like, yeah, Yikes. that's how the book starts. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I for one, I'm like, don't, don't bring them back. <laughs> right. So, basically, in a world with dinosaurs alive today the environment would look pretty different and and animals would be probably behaving differently or probably be a lot more bottom of the food chain but could humans possibly live alongside dinosaurs yeah but i just like i mean it's possible but again for me in my mind i'm just like but it's gonna go terribly wrong like okay what if you put some kind of like collar on them so that they like you know can't you know, think violent thoughts or like, you know, don't want to eat people or I don't know. But like, again, this just sounds like, you know, we've all seen that movie and it doesn't go, <laughs> it doesn't go well. No. Um, yeah. Like that Rick and Morty where they're like, they make the dog intelligent and then it just like takes over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because if you're doing this, you're essentially enslaving an animal, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I just think that when we try to force nature, to, like when we try to bend nature to our will rather than trying to live in harmony with nature. I just think that what's bad for nature and for the earth usually ends up being bad for us too. So I would better try to figure out how we could live in harmony with dinosaurs. Like, all right, Australia is yours, you know, (laughs) you guys stay there. Like, or, you know, like, yeah, just like live in cities that somehow like, you know, concentrated mega cities where dinosaurs can't come tromping around and and stepping on children. And we give them like big open spaces and Mm -hmm. we just, fly around in little helicopters and look at them and we're like, look what we made. You know, that would probably be the best way to go. I understand you're writing a children's book that's coming out later this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Thank you for letting me give me the opportunity because I'm actually like really excited about it. I'm somebody who really doesn't feel good about like shameless self-promotion. So I kind of like, ah, like, but it's also like, I love this book. We did such a good job. It came out so well. So I actually just saw the the proofs yesterday and I'm super excited about it. And it, you know, it basically teaches you about the ideas of evolution, how we came to understand what evolution is, like the history of paleontology, kind of like shout out to how many different cultures at many different times have understood what fossils are and what they can tell us. Like what we consider to be the history of paleontology is actually just the history of paleontology within Western society, right? Mm. So I think it's important to like, you know, to, to broaden our, our, our minds about that. And uh, so we talk a little bit about Darwin, about the discovery of Archaeopteryx, like how humans came to understand what that evolution is a process that has shaped the life on our planet. And then I just like teach you everything there is to know about Mesozoic birds, like their feathers, cool. how we can tell what color their feathers were, about all different flying dinosaurs, about all these cool birds that lived in the past, about the fifth mass extinction, about the birds that survive, and then about how we get these birds that we have alive today. And then my favorite page is my last page of the book, where, yes, I'm sorry, I do get all preachy on everybody, and I'm like, <laughs> this is my sixth mass extinction, like... Help! No, uh, yeah, but for real, we we are in the sixth mass extinction of Earth's history. Uh, the last one took out all the non-avian dinosaurs. This one this is the only one that's ever been caused by a species, a conscious species that's supposedly very intelligent. And uh, yeah, and I, I think it's it's a call to you know for us to change our lives and to uh, to protect the life that the the species that we do have left. 
yeah, so I'm I'm really excited for it. It comes out November 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Quarto Publishing. You can already pre-order it. And what's it called? It's called When Dinosaurs Conquered the Skies. Wow. I'm super excited yeah. for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, if people are interested in becoming paleontologists or just want to know a little bit more about your story, uh, where can people follow you online and find your work? I call myself Paleontologista. And so I have a website, paleontologista.com. Um, also, I really love Instagram. Like, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, And so, yeah, you, I have a paleontologista account where I post fossils for everybody all the time. Fossil, hashtag Fossil Fridays. Neat. If you go on my website, there's plenty of talks that I've posted there. And, uh, and I'm very easy to find. You can easily find my email. I do encourage people to, to reach out. I usually respond pretty quickly. But like paleontologists, we are, we're silver servants. We're serving the people. Like it's all for, you know, everything we do is for the good of mankind. Not to like, you know, I mean, I know that sounds like really like high and mighty, but it's like this is ultimately what we're doing. We're trying to uncover new knowledge for humanity. Right. And so if we're going to do it, we have to share it with the people. Like otherwise, what's the point? So please... Yeah, please reach out if you have fossil questions, if you found something weird and you need it identified, or if you need advice for how to become a paleontologist. Um, yeah, I'm happy to help. Well, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Jaime, David, Perry. It was a wonderful time chatting with you guys. And Dylan, thank you so much for being there in the background. And uh, I wish you guys the best. Yeah, thanks, Jaime and David. Thank you. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Unfortunately, it does not look like dinosaurs will return anytime soon. However, we can enjoy the dinosaurs that we have today. Just look towards the sky. Ever Wonder from the California Science Center was produced by David Magania and me, Jaime Lopez, Jennifer Aguirre, and Perry Roth Johnson. This episode was edited by Dylan Render and Liz Roth Johnson. Key music provided by Michael Nicholas and Pond5. We'll drop a new episode every other Wednesday. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people discover our show. Have a question you've been wondering about? Send an email or voice recording to everwonder at californiasciencecenter.org to tell us what you'd like to hear in future episodes.